Good morning, church. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalms, chapter 69, verses 30 to 33. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with his horns and hoofs. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise the captive people. This is God's word. You may be seated. Inside of the announcement sheet, you'll find an outline that you can use uh, that has uh, the major notes that, uh, uh, and points that we're going to be making this morning as we think about uh, the, the topic that Seth uh, just wrote, uh, read to us. And uh, there might be some things that you want to write down and think about later. So I'd encourage you to get that out and get your Bibles out or your smart devices out as we go through some Scripture this morning and think about what the Bible has to say about unthankfulness. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for every blessing that comes from Your hand. And it's our prayer, Father, that we see these blessings rightly, that, that our focus, that our, our attention, that our gaze is not fixed upon the blessing, but, but fixed upon You and Your beauty, Father. And that uh, in, in receiving these blessings, our, our soul and our heart and our mind is awakened to the greatness of Your presence in all the universe. That in Your might and wisdom and power and in the greatness of Your being, You have not neglected, You have not forgotten to bless Your individual children. And as we reflect, Father, on these blessings and, and the, the purposes of them in our life, our, our prayer is, is to have our, our ears opened and our eyes opened in such a way, Father, that we are better at discerning. And not just in, in our discernment, Father, but in our hearts being open to the transformation that You bring to us, Father, as, as we come deeper and deeper and more deeply into Your presence, Father, in love and mercy and compassion. So bless us in, in these next few minutes, Father, as we study and think. We pray, Father, for, for these words to resonate in, in our minds and in our hearts in such a way that we are changed, that we are transformed to bring glory to You in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said. I want to start this morning uh, by getting everyone here in the auditorium to play uh, a game. We're going to play the opposite game. I'm going to flash a word up on the screen and you say out loud what the opposite word is. We're going to start with an easy one. The first one is black. The, the opposite is? Well done. Well done. Everybody gets a point. Next word is right. No. Left. What in the world? Well, let's go back to an easy one. Up. Down. Here's another easy one. 
The opposite of Clint Eastwood is Don Knotts. <laughs> Next word, thankfulness. The opposite of thankfulness is unthankfulness. Very, very good. Now, that's probably not a word that you typically hear every day. It's a little awkward to say unthankfulness. There are probably better words like ingratitude, maybe even complainer or whiner. In the Bible, the words would be grumbling and murmuring. Now, before we go on, I use the word complaint lightly here. There are certainly things in the world where complaints are actually needed to invoke change, to, to, to trigger change in the world, good positive change over things that are very, very difficult and, and need to be eradicated like, like injustice or where there are real dangers or where there are prejudices. There need to be complaints. But that's very different from someone who has chosen never to be happy when they live in the presence of God who makes them deliriously happy or should. So let me address three reasons why I think it's really important for us to press our minds into what the Bible teaches about unthankfulness. Reason number one is this. It's one of the most popular and acceptable sins in our culture. Now, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth to understand that, that this, this unthankfulness in a, in a culture like ours where we're inundated with abundance and saturated with so much is, is just wrong. And we suffer, we suffer from time to time, all of us, with being unthankful. Reason number two, and it's sort of like the first one, it strangles the human heart. Unthankfulness strangles the human heart. Unthankfulness is really like a disease that debilitates and diminishes the human heart. It shrinks the human heart. Now, what I want to do right now is give you a definition of unthankfulness for our purposes this morning. When we think about unthankfulness, let's think about it with this definition, that unthankfulness is the inability to see greatness. The inability to see greatness. You can't see greatness because you've lost perspective. Because of unthankfulness that has embedded itself inside of your heart, you become impervious to the effects of blessings and miracles. Let me give you a couple of illustrations on how that works. Um, where do you think one of the most concentrated centers of complaints and whining is in America? It's the airport. It's the airport. Lines, the long lines are certainly... Uh, a hassle at times, going through security, that can be a hassle at times. But really, how great is it to travel in three hours what would have taken you a week on horseback a hundred years ago? You want to freak somebody out? The next time someone complains about a 20-minute delay and sitting on a runway for 10 minutes, just ask, and then did you fly? I mean, think about it. I mean, a mile above the earth, human beings are sitting in a chair and flying. Ask that the next time somebody begins to complain about the long lines. And then did you fly? That's not natural to human beings. Another illustration. Have you ever seen someone get furious with their phone? You want to freak somebody out? They get angry because it's taking so long. You want to freak somebody out? The next time someone complains about their phone, tell them to give the GPS lady that lives inside of this thing a break because she travels to outer space and comes back in just a couple of seconds. I mean, how can you get angry with that? One of my favorite things, and we're going to try it here real quick, 
One of my favorite things about the GPS lady, that's this what I call Siri, is how Siri can, can, in a phone, can kind of brighten your day. Siri, tell me a joke. I don't think you'd understand a joke in my language. They're not so funny, anyway. I mean, who can be mad at that, right? Hey, we're on a roll here. Let's try another one. Tell me something about Mark Absher. No, what a boring answer. But how great is it to have a phone like that that travels as quickly as it does? One of the things that, that Ellen and I marvel at is when we were missionaries down in Brazil, we thought we were big stuff when we got a fax machine. This was, I, to tell you how old we, were, we are, or I am, she's not. Uh, <laughs> when we were living down in Brazil, we didn't have smartphones, we didn't even have cell phones, we barely had a landline there, there was not email. I didn't get email until we were back a couple of years from Brazil in the United States. I mean, but today you can call your kids. You can Skype. You can use uh, FaceTime. You can use all of these different pieces of technology and applications, apps on your phone to communicate. Why be unthankful for a phone just because it takes a few seconds longer than necessary or, or normal to connect you to somebody? We all have to take this seriously. You know, many of you have seen me get angry with my phone because I pocket dialed you by mistake. But mistakes happen, right? I, I described a recent flight from Brazil, from Sao Paulo, which would have taken you know a month by boat uh, 50 years ago. We made that flight in, in 10 hours from, from Sao Paulo to DFW. And I described that as, a, as, as murder, as just torture. It was just a whipping. I mean, there is, there is a, a real reason why we have to think about this and study about what the Bible says about unthankfulness. Because we all suffer from it. We all deal with it. But there's a very, very big reason, and that's reason number three. And that is because God takes seriously unthankfulness. God takes, unserious, uh, takes unthankfulness very, very seriously. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And... Do not grumble, as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Things, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Say those three words with me again. Do not grumble. Let's say it again. Do not grumble. Grumbling and murmuring have a history in the Bible. And that's where we want to pick up the history behind these words. And it really begins when you think biblically about the, the, the larger picture of unthankfulness. It begins with the Israelites in Egypt where they are for 400 years. At the end of Genesis, Joseph has brought his family into Egypt to save them from a famine, famine that is in the, the, uh, the Middle East. He is saving them from starvation. He has brought them to the land where he has some power and some influence as the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And everything's going well for his people, except there is a, a moment in that history where a Pharaoh, a different Pharaoh, 
takes, takes power. He becomes king. He becomes the leader of Egypt. And he does not know the name of Joseph. And because he's afraid of all of the foreigners that have come into his land, he enslaves the Israelites. And in that fear, he begins to kill off of all their baby boys. Now, uh, that in itself is absolutely horrible. But imagine what would have happened to an entire nation of women who were unprotected because the men were being killed off. And it's around this time in the history that God begins to step in. He raises up Moses. He calls Moses uh, after Moses has left Egypt. He calls Moses back into Egypt. And this is where we run into the great story in the Bible, the Ten Plagues. Now, before we move on, just ponder for a moment the greatness of the power of God in those plagues. Water turned into what? Blood. Frogs. Lice. Flies, disease on the livestock, there are boils, there's this gigantic storm in which there's hail and there's fire that's, that's landing on the ground. There are locusts that are innumerable that just ravage the ground. There's darkness that overtakes the land. And then finally, the tenth one is the death of what? The firstborn son, right? I mean, think about that power. And that power that is so great to not only control but to alter the world has stepped into Israel's and Egypt's experience. That power has stepped into Egypt on behalf of Israel in order for the slavery and the injustice and the cruelty and the murder and the violence to end. And end it does. And God sets His people free through all of these awesome miracles, including the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army, which brings us out through Exodus chapter 12. And then in Exodus chapter 15, we read this. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For, what's the next word? Three. What's the next word, church? Three. For three days. How many is that? Three, right? One, two. Three days they traveled. Not even a week. Three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why they called the place Marah. So the people what? grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Let's get this straight. 400 years in a foreign land, history of slavery, a history of brutal slave labor, history of baby boys being murdered, God intervenes and accomplishes what they could not on their own accomplish in 400 years, that is, their liberation... Three days later, they are grumbling. They're not complaining. They are grumbling. They are grumbling against God. So Moses throws a piece of wood into the bitter waters. He makes it uh, miraculously drinkable. And then God takes them to Elim where there are 12 springs of water and they find all the water that they need. Grumbling issue solved, right? Next chapter. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Well, God is patient and merciful and kind. 
God brings the manna. And the manna, like these little wafers of, of, of bread, they're like a, a little wafer that tastes like honey and coriander. And God brings this manna, and every morning they wake up, and it's as if God has, has sprinkled honey nut Cheerios all over the front and backyard that they gather up all that they want and eat till they're filled. Until they are completely sated. Until they are satisfied. Is the grumbling soft? Well, they're going to grumble because there's not enough variety. They get enough of the cereal, so God brings the quail. They'll grumble again because of the water. He tells Moses, strike the water, and water's going to gush out. But what Israel doesn't understand about the grumbling, and they're not getting in light of the greatness of the display of God's beauty and power and majesty and love to them, is that grumbling, that kind of attitude, insidiously infiltrates the heart. Now, two things I want you to write down on your outline. The first is, grumbling dilutes faith. Grumbling dilutes faith. One of the ways that faith grows, one of the ways that your faith and my faith, our trust in God grows and becomes more dynamic, it becomes more vibrant, is through the inspiration of the, that comes to us when our life intersects with, with God's presence. The more that we see God working in our life, the more that, that, that God fills us with His love, He pours His love into our hearts through the Spirit is what Paul says. The more we recognize God directing our life and protecting our lives and being there even in those valleys that are really, really dark, the more filled with awe that we are and the more inspired we are and the, and the more inspired and awe-filled we are, the more we are brought into His presence. And the more we come into His presence, the more our faith becomes vibrant and it becomes dynamic. The problem with grumbling is that it blinds the human eye to God's greatness and beauty. We don't see the power that's right there in front of us. And that grumbling dilutes faith, and a diluted faith, the second thing, fails the big tests. Israel's on its way to the promised land. They have traveled from Egypt through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai where they're there for about 9 to 12 months being formed into a nation. God you know, forms them into a nation, into these tribes. He gives them the, the, the Ten Commandments. Moses is the leader. And he, he makes this covenant with them. They are His people. He is their God. And now they have moved to the southern end of Palestine or of Israel. They're at a place called Kadesh Barnea. They send the spies out. Spies come back after 40 days. And everything that God has said about the promised land is true. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. It is a place where the crops are abundant. It's beautiful to the eye. It's a place that anybody would want to live. The problem is, part of the report was, but there are giants there. There are giants. We can't do this. The God that brought Egypt to its knees and parted a sea, they all saw this. That provided food. Every morning from the sky that they saw with their own eye enough water gush out of a rock in order to, 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 to slake the thirst of over a million people. And God's word about the promised land was true. They got that part of it. But somehow all of the grumbling had diminished their faith, diluted their faith, had shrunk their heart down. So he said, you know what? It's better for us to go back to Egypt. And Israel responds with disbelief that the God who used those ten plagues, parted the Red Sea, rained that cereal down in their front yards, and provided the quell and provided the, the water out of the rock, would not be able to keep His promises about the promised land. 
and that generation was lost because of grumbling, because of unthankfulness in the heart for the greatness of God. Now, what we're talking about this morning, church, is more than just an annoying habit. Once, while Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem, and He's in that that border area between northern Galilee and, and Samaria there in the middle of Israel, He encounters ten lepers who approach Him and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have, have pity on us, and they are cleansed of their leprosy. But there is one out of the ten, only one, who comes back and because He has been healed of something that He could not heal Himself of. And nobody else in the world could take care of Him except God in Jesus. Only one comes back praising God and thanking the Christ. We need to strive to be that guy. We need to strive to be that guy every day. He saw the greatness of God in His healing and it welled up into praise and to thankfulness. The question that we have to ask ourselves at the beginning of every day is do we see the greatness of God in each and every day that we live? Do we see the greatness, the beauty of God in each and every day? You know, there are lots of things to be thankful for. But let me give you two things to start off with as, uh, as we begin this week in thinking about how, to, how again, to live our lives in thankfulness and gratefulness uh, gratefulness and gratitude to God. The first is found in, well, the, both of these are found actually in Psalm 136, verses 2, 3, and 4. Let me read those to you. Psalmist says, Give thanks, give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To Him alone, to Him who alone does great wonders, His love endures forever. First thing this is this. God is sovereign in His creation. You personally know and are known by the most powerful being in the entire universe. Uh, I have in my office at the house, I have a picture of me standing next to Tony Blair, the former Prime Minister of England. That picture was taken while he was at Trinity University giving a lecture a number of years ago. Mr. Blair does not know me from Adam. I know more about Tony Blair than he knows about Mark Abshire. I can even tell you a funny story that, about Tony Blair that he told me personally, along with about a thousand other people. So why do I have that picture in my office? It's there because I'm standing next to a man who continues to make a difference in the world. He's in my office, standing there smiling at me at my desk because of the difference that he makes in the world. But better than knowing that is knowing the one who made the world and who who holds the world and holds our lives in His hands. Let me, in, let me let you in on something that happens every Sunday morning. It's been going on for uh, a decade or so. 
Uh, every Sunday morning, staff gathers at 8 o'clock in the morning in my office. We get here real early. We go over the morning. Uh, we'll talk about, is, is there anybody that we know that is, wants to be baptized? Uh, uh, are there people placing membership, new members? Uh, who do we think might be hurting that we need to make sure that we, we talk to and, and put our arms around? Uh, lots of things like that. And then, and then we hold hands and we pray. Never in all of those years have we ever prayed for the air conditioning to work. We, we have never prayed for the sound system. In all of these years, we have never prayed for the communion crackers to taste good. And we do believe in miracles, by the way. Not once. We always, always, always pray for our church family to come to this place and to experience God in worship. In fact, sometimes the words we use, a keen awareness of God's presence in our lives. You know, recognizing that relationship and that connection and, and all of the things that take place in the intersection of God's presence and, and our life, that is the beginning. That's where a big life begins. In awe of God. And then the second thing, is that not, not only is God sovereign and majestic and mighty, but God delivers His people in love. You know, when you think about it, it's not very, it, you know, we don't have a very good feeling or sense of, of, of a father who only, who only fulfills out of obligation the things that he needs to do for a son or a daughter. Right? What a, a, a father does and a, a, a mother does for children is when, when it's proper and healthy and it, it's the right kind of relationship is that the, the things that take place between parents and the children are done not out of obligation. It's my job and I've got to do it so I can check off all the, you know, the tick marks there on the, on the list of things to do. It's done out of love. It's done out of love. You know, when you think about the deliverance that God... I mean, it could have been that God did not want Satan to win. That, you know, He didn't want Satan to get all of the earth and all of the people and, 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 and to destroy and, and to devastate everything. So what God's going to do, because it's a competition between Him and Satan, is He's going to save people and He's going to, he's going to, to redeem people and He's going to forgive people, but he, he doesn't have to love them. He wins because people get to back, go back into His heaven. People, people get to come back into His presence. People have their sins forgiven, but it's not done out of love. And yet, over and over and over, the thing that just is underscored all the time is that the reason we're saved, the reason we are redeemed, the reason we are forgiven, the reason that, 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 that Satan is defeated through great sacrifice is because God is love. Because God is love. And that all of the blessings that you encounter from the, the beginning of your life through today and through the end of your life, the blessings that come to you are because God loves you. And when the things in your life kind of turn south and they're not going the direction that you want them to go, you're able to be sustained and you're able to go through those things that are more than you can bear because of God's love that is with you. And that's the reason why 
That's the reason why the grumbling was such a horrible thing in God's eyes throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Is that the grumbling was not just, you know, forcing people away from each other because, you know, it was negative and, you know, the complaints were sometimes not easy to deal with. More than that, it was diminishing the view that people had of God. That they were grumbling against God's love. They were grumbling against all of the things that were done on their behalf in love by God. And not recognizing, not recognizing at all the profoundness and the significance that they had been delivered, not out of obligation, but they had been delivered and saved from their sins and reconciled unto God because of God's love. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. Maybe there are some ways that our church family can minister to you right now. We're going to offer you an invitation to come down and talk to these shepherds who will talk with you and pray with you and counsel with you and do all kinds of a Bible study with you to help you grow into that place where you're walking with God every day, whether it's to be converted and saved this very day or to deepen your discipleship and your faith in God and your, your way of manifesting the teachings of God in your life. If that describes you this morning, come down to the front and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together.